0: From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham.
1: And welcome to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio. We are powered by the Wharton School and we are on SiriusXM, Channel 111. Hey, if you've got a question, if it's Thursday at noon, we are live taking your calls at 844 Wharton. That's 844 942 7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives program here in Philadelphia. I'm also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. And I'm here with the Dream Team, Michelle and Dion, who Will be running the show from behind the glass, and if you're just tuning in, we've got a great show for you. It's a new year, new possibilities, and why not make this year to this year the one where you get the career you want? Because hey, five years from now, you may have wished you started now. So I've yet to meet somebody who says, I love the job search process. It's great. It's not. It's nerve wracking, frustrating, ambiguous, but well worth it when you land the job you want. So today we're going to talk about how to get around some of those crazy hiring processes to make what is usually a stressful process not so bad. To help us with that, we welcome back Nick Corcadelius, a.k.a. The Ask the Headhunter Guy, the author of several books, Fearless Job Hunting, Keep Your Salary Into Wraps, and the number one best-selling interview guide, Ask the Headhunter. Nick has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, New York Times, as well as many other media outlets, and we are so excited to have you back, Nick.
2: Dawn, it's great to be here. Good Welcome.
1: To see you. We love having you in studio. So it's January, so I have to ask you, New Year's resolution? Yep. Yeah?
2: Don't be so patient. When you know something's right... <laughs> When you know something's right, go for it.
1: Don't, I like that because most people are saying I need to be more patient.
2: Nah, I don't think so. In today's job market, the whole system really conspires to slow you down, not to make you patient. You need to pick out what you think is the right thing to do and just go for it.
1: Don't be so patient. So does that does that translate outside of the job search? Oh, absolutely. Process? Okay,
2: absolutely. So, so where else are you using that in your life? <laughs> oh, politically, personally, socially. <laughs>
1: where are you not using it in your life? It's really the right question. So hey, so okay, so it's it. There's so many exciting things going on in the job search world, and we've been talking about job trends for 2017. And one of the biggest job trends is a better candidate experience. So hallelujah on that, because that is so needed. But interestingly, because we are doing this broadcast from Philly, one of the things I wanted to bring up is Philly is now the first U.S. city to ban employers from requesting salary history.
2: Yeah, and I think that's long overdue across the whole country, dog.
1: Long overdue. And and so Massachusetts was was the one to kind of introduce yep. this. They've not passed it yet, but Philly has become the first one to pass this. And the thought is that this is a vital step towards closing the wage gap between men and women. So so do you think it's going to achieve that?
2: I I think it could, but I think the ramifications are much bigger. This really applies and affects everyone. When you walk into a job interview and they demand that you give them your salary history, what are you currently making? As soon as you give them that information, you have totally destroyed your ability to negotiate a good salary. And as soon as you give them that number, it puts a cap on any offer they're going to make you. It's totally unfair. It's unreasonable. Job seekers should politely but firmly say no, even if it is legal. But in cities like Philly where where it's now illegal, I think job applicants just need to be more vigilant about making sure they don't leak that information out.
1: So this is interesting because um, hopefully this is going to take off across the country and become the norm, but companies are not really happy about this with one of the major employers in Philly saying that this violates the employer's First Amendment rights to ask about salary.
2: Well, asking a question is not part of your First Amendment right. What you say is part of your First Amendment right. And I think that... When employers say that they need to have – I'll give you an example. Over the past 20 years, I've polled HR managers and employers. I always ask them, give me one defensible reason why you must have a job applicant's salary history. And they blurb out all kinds of stuff. None of it makes any sense. The typical answer is, well, it's our policy. We need to have it. Uh, We can't make the proper offer unless we know the information. When you stop and think about it, any company that's going to make you a salary offer, they're basing it on what your value is to them. If they're going to use the value that your old employer assigned to you, what they're tacitly admitting is they don't know how to put a value on you and what you're worth to their business. Mm-hmm. So that makes them non-competitive. It makes them imbeciles as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and there's absolutely no reason to get that information. They should assess your value themselves. If they're good business people, then they can do that. If they're not, they shouldn't be interviewing and hiring people.
1: So this is one place in a new year not to be
2: patient <laughs> that's our that's our
1: motto for today don't be patient so hey if you're just tuning in and you want to weigh in on this issue that philadelphia has become the first u.s city to ban employers from requesting salary history we would love to hear from you we're here at 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 i'm your host dr Don graham and we're here with nick aka ask the headhunter so if you have a question you've always wanted to ask a headhunter nick will give it to you straight so okay so this is just in philly hopefully it's going to be in massachusetts soon and and this will become a trend but for those people who are in a job search now what can they be doing when they're asked this information because a lot of times it's right there in the job ad that it says applicants who don't submit their salary history will not be considered
2: well two things number one as a job applicant you don't need a law that enables you or protects you from having to disclose your salary history. Number two, if you're using an online job application form that won't let you proceed unless you put in your salary history, well, you're doing it the wrong way. You should not be using an automated system that's requiring you from its side to do X, Y, and Z while you can't make any requirements or, or, or place any demands on them. So it's really a one-way channel, and it's a lousy, Not very smart way to apply for jobs. Don't do it that way. Go talk to hiring managers directly. If they're interested in you and you can demonstrate your value to them... They're not going to make you fill out an online application until after you've had a substantive discussion.
1: Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of times you can just put zero in those boxes oh, to yeah. bypass them, and and I've actually seen a statistic that said fewer than six percent of companies actually abide by that rule of we're not going to consider you because of course you're you know if you're a great candidate they're going to consider you.
2: If you're dealing with what I call a personnel jockey, and I mean that in a derogative way, if, you, if you're dealing <laughs> with a just in case if you you're dealing with clear. a mindless personnel jockey who's trying to follow all the rules and isn't thinking about the fact that the objective is to hire good talent They may just bounce you and not want to talk to you. I agree. In most companies, if you put in zeros or ones, and then somewhere along the line in the forum where where there's a free text form where you can just type whatever you want, Mm -hmm. you explain and say, with all due respect, I prefer not to disclose my salary history, and I'll discuss why with you later.
1: Mm -hmm. So hey, if you're just tuning in and you've got a comment, thought, or question on the salary history question that you get when you're applying for a job, or even early in the job search process, so... um, you know it can be something that you're you're in the first phone screen so I want to talk about that too but we would love to hear from you at 844 Wharton that's 844 942 seven eight six six you can also tweet us at dr don graham so okay so let's just say you've you've gotten past it maybe they say we're not going to consider you unless you put salary requirements and you type in your cover letter or the form hey you know I, i'm sure you'll have a mark fa- fair market price say that three times fair market price so we'll talk about it in the interview and they bring you in or they have a phone screen and they're like look we can't move forward and pass you on to the hiring manager unless you give us some kind of number.
2: Well, there are two kinds of numbers. One's legitimate and one's not. Uh, The the non-legitimate number is asking you what you're making now or what you've made in the past. And I tell job seekers, don't disclose that. On the flip side, job seekers are sometimes shocked to hear me say, when the employer asks you what kind of salary range you're looking for, Typically, negotiating experts will tell you, don't say anything or say, give them some sort of broad range or d- deflect it by saying, well, I'm sure we can come up with something reasonable when the time comes. My response to that is no. You should have a good idea of what you think you're worth to the employer. Mm-hmm. You should be ready to state a range, and you should be able to abide by that by the time a salary is is actually offered to you. People worry that once they put a number on the table, they then can't negotiate their way out of it. Or the old saw in negotiating is whoever puts a number out there first loses. I think that's total bunk. If you put a decent, defensible range out on the table about what you want, mm-hmm. then I think the employer will respect you. You live within that. And if it turns out the job requires a lot more from you, then you can say, you know, that range I gave you, well, here are two reasons based on our interview about why I believe I'm worth more to you.
1: So this can be an uncomfortable discussion for people to have because they think, wow, I've been in the job search. This company is interested in me. I don't want to screw it up. So I, I do think you need to do this diplomatically. And, Absolutely. Yeah.
2: And- it, uh, no, you, you should never be rude, never be obstructionist. What you want, I, I use the expression, be be firm but be polite, be professional. What you basically say to them is, with all due respect, this is not a number that I disclose. I consider it personal and confidential. However, I'm happy to spend whatever amount of time it takes – to help you figure out what I'm worth to your business. And I'd like to do that by talking about what problems and challenges you face in having this job done. Let me describe to you step-by-step how I would go about doing it in a profitable way and how if you hire me, I'm going to help bring more profit to your bottom line on this particular job. And that's why we should talk about a salary range between X and Z. Mm-hmm.
1: So, hey, if you're just tuning in, we are talking all about the salary process and negotiating. How do you get past that first question of what What was your last salary? We are here with Nick, AKA Ask the Headhunter. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. And if it's Thursday, we are live taking your calls all through the hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844 942 7866. So, hey, Philadelphia has become the first U.S. city to ban employers from requesting your salary history. And this is going to hopefully become a trend. So let's talk about this. At some point it, it may be illegal for all companies to to ask this question. But there are a lot of other AKA illegal questions that people get asked in the interview, such as do you have children or you know, things of that nature. How do people handle that diplomatically? Because I can guarantee the second you say, Well, I think that's an illegal question, you're done.
2: Well, If a company dares to ask you an illegal question, either they're doing it intentionally, they know it's illegal, or they don't know it's illegal. In either case, there's something wrong with the way they're handling their human resources and hiring practice. And and so I think as a a job seeker, you have an obligation to yourself and to the employer to say, look, I beg your pardon, but I I believe that that question is not permissible in a job interview like this. However, I'd be glad to discuss any other questions you have. Mm -hmm. So you want to turn it around from saying no but yes i will talk about these other things
1: and i think it's i think people do assume that interviewers are trained Um, Which, I know Ah. know you're laughing, but I mean, and and I think, you know, maybe HR and recruiting has a little bit more training, but a lot of people who are interviewing you are line managers who day-to-day are doing accounting or finance or operations or these other things. Maybe they hire two, three, four people a year, and this is not their primary job. So I usually tell people, assume it's a mistake, unless it's egregious, (laughs) and obviously not, but assume it's a mistake, and, and don't distance yourself from the employer, but instead say, you know I think what you're maybe asking me is can I can I um, accommodate the travel that is a part of this job and if that's what you're asking here's my answer to that
2: Oh, but if I'm the employer, then I come back to you and I say, well, yeah, we can talk about that, but I still need to know how many kids you've got. Yeah, so, <laughs> well, so, so, then, so then, then you know it's not a mistake. I, the biggest mistake job seekers make, one of the biggest mistakes they make in job interviews is they haven't prepared good answers for tough questions like that. And I'm not talking about you know, if you could be any color, what color would you be? You know, What's your greatest accomplishment? What's your greatest fear? I'm talking about illegal questions. If you're asked something like that, you should know how you're going to respond and how you're going to do it so you don't have to get flustered and think about it. You know, while you're trying to think fast on your feet and actually bungle it. Mm -hmm. So again, I I think you need to decide if they ask you point blank four times, do you have any kids? Are you married? You need to be able to look them in the eye and say, with all due respect, I don't believe that question is appropriate in a job interview, but I would be glad to talk to you about how I can bring more profit to your bottom line if you hire me.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. So we're going to go to Maureen in California. Maureen, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
3: Hi, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. I am a professional in the finance industry, and I have been working eight to ten years now as a consultant. Uh, my engagements last three to six months. These are high paying. If you you know, if you were to annualize them, one hundred and twenty to one hundred fifty thousand a year. But I need a permanent job. I'm getting up there in age. I need benefits. I need a home. And I need more balance in my life without disclosing all that. How do I do it so yeah, so how do you
1: you go from being somebody who's been in um what I guess now is referred to as a, a gig type economy for ten years to being internally so um i guess I guess my question is tell us what you've tried so far
3: applying for jobs um have you been permanent hitting every type of recruiter
1: you mean you mean uh,
3: headhunters headhunters recruiters placement agencies
2: how do you find them Mari, excuse me how do you find these recruiters and placement agencies or do they find you
3: some of them I've known for 15 years and I consider them more mentors okay um they've established relationships with me they're like they're like Ryan Miller in, in Los Angeles is fantastic Um, but they're also business people. So I see from their point of view, they make money from placing me and charging 150% to the client. The client likes it because I, when I'm working, I'm working 12 hour days, they don't have to give me benefits. They don't have to insure me. And then I'm gone in three to six months. Doing a lot of uh, SEC reporting
1: work, right? So that's not your audience. They're not going to be the ones who who put you in touch with those companies. So, um, so first off, I think the fact you have all of this experience is a good thing, and it's not going to be a drawback that you necessarily have it at different places. But what I'm hearing Maureen is that you're not you're not putting that out in front of the right audience. So Nick. You were going to join in. yeah, yeah.
2: Maureen, the way the employment system, the recruiting system works, is, is it's kind of a one-way flow. Employers expect candidates to come in over the transom because they post on an ad or a job posting somewhere because they put a search out to a headhunter. Uh, Don and I were talking recently about the number of people who get placed by headhunters. You know, the number of jobs filled by headhunters is tiny. It's probably somewhere between three and seven or eight percent. So you really don't want to re- rely on headhunters. If a good one comes to you with with a job opportunity, that's wonderful. Just make sure it's uh-huh. a le- it's a legitimate headhunter and not someone who's out trolling, you know, the the internet trying to find anybody and everybody. The best way you're going to get in the door somewhere is, and, and this is, this is a challenge, but so is any good job. You want to pick out three or four really good companies that you would love to work for. Look at operation. Done, I'm sorry. I've done that. Okay, so what you want to do is is look at departments that you would want to work in and triangulate by trying to identify the managers who run them. Try to talk to people who might be working with them, clients, vendors, consultants, anybody who can help you understand who the manager is, what the manager is doing. As you triangulate and you make these contacts, you never ask for a job or a job lead. You never ask anyone to take your resume in. What you basically just do is ask for insight and advice about what it's like to work with that manager, what problems and challenges that manager is facing. As you go through these discussions and they start to see you as someone who's credible, legitimate, it's then easier to say to them, would you be willing to introduce me to someone in the, in the manager's team who might be able to give me a little more advice and insight about, about working there? As you make your way in the door and you get to that manager, you're now not applying for a job. You're talking shop. Your goal is not to apply for a job or to get a job. Your goal is to figure out what problems, what challenges does a manager face. And then you've got to put together a little business plan that describes how you're going to go about doing it. Take that to a manager, and now you have something to talk about that will be substantive that could lead to a job.
1: So, yeah, and I like um, this idea of picking companies over jobs, Nick. Like I think this is the key thing that people do backwards, so they start with, with the I want this title and I'm going to go on the Internet and, and go on Indeed or these other oh, job yeah. sites and say I'm going to look for this title.
2: Well, there, what, what, what that leads to is it, there's, there's, there's this false impression that you're looking for a job. You're really not. You're looking for a good company because a good company will give you many good jobs throughout a five, ten-year period or whatever. If you're, if you're going to pursue job opportunities per se, each one is discreet. Either you get it or you don't. Most jobs are found and filled. Everybody knows this through personal contacts. It's something like sixty or seventy percent. Mm-hmm. So if you stop and consider that, you, you don't want to find jobs. You want to find good insiders and good people you can get to know who can get to know you. That's what will lead you in the door to a manager. It's a more cumbersome, slower process. But you know what? So is any good job you want.
1: Yeah, and and Maureen, I, the fact that you've been in this this um, this economy this function for 10 years. My sense is you have access and contacts in a lot of different places. And that's where I would start. I would think about what companies have you done work in that have a great culture that you're interested in or that you have a number of contacts who you can reach out to, grab coffee, have a phone conversation, kind of Uh, You know, poke around and see what's there, because I do believe that, as Nick pointed out, networking is the way to go. I know a lot of people roll their eyes when they hear us say that. But the fact is that the stats don't lie, 60 to 70 percent. And if you think about it, previous jobs are that you've had have probably been found through somebody telling somebody to somebody telling somebody else and there you are that opportunity comes up so if you're applying online if you are relying on the people who have placed you in more of a a gig work versus full-time those are not your audience any longer you want to be going to the people who have worked with you who know you do great work and who would be thrilled to have you on board full-time and and pay you those benefits you're looking for and in terms of how you you frame your work if you're looking about or looking at your resume or LinkedIn. I mean, you don't have to necessarily say you've worked at all these places. I mean, it's about your experience, and your experience sounds like it's very deep, so it doesn't matter and can actually be to your advantage that you've done it at a lot of different places. So, Maureen, I think you've got a lot of great things ahead of you. Change your audience, and I think it will change your outcome. Hey, you're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We would love to take your calls. If it's Thursday, we are live, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and we are taking our calls at 844 Wharton that's 844 942 7866 got a question on the salary got a question for a headhunter got any question on your job search this is why we are here every Thursday for you give us a call 844 Wharton that's 844 942 7866 so Nick I'm a big follower of your blog and I know one of the things that that comes up a lot and is unfortunately becoming a trend in 2017 is this this rescinding job offers from employers this is awful
2: i think it happens a lot more now because companies uh, think they're in a huge rush to hire and what they wind up doing is making offers to the wrong people and then they want to turn around and pull them back the amount of email that i've gotten over the past 12 to 18 months from people at all levels from you know uh skilled but not professional, all the way up through professional, the number of people who've gotten bona fide offers, written offers in hand, they've gotten in their car, they start driving across the country, they get get a text that tells them, sorry, we're pulling the offer, management changed its mind, we're going to do something else. I just can't believe how many of these I'm getting.
1: I mean, is this legal? Is this... Well,
2: there, (laughs) there, there are several lawyers I turn to in labor and employment law and contracts law about this, and it's really very fuzzy. Uh in, in, in most states, uh, we have what we call uh, uh, not right right to hire, um, hire, hire, hire at will, will. Hire em- will. employment, employment at, will, at will, where a company can literally fire you at any time for any reason or for no reason. So whether they do it a week or a month or two years after you're on board or five minutes after they give you an offer – It's really hard to fight. I've I've spoken with lawyers. And if if you're in a situation like this, I suggest you do talk to a lawyer if you feel you're in the right, the company's in the wrong. There are circumstances where a a, a written job offer can be construed as a binding contract, but that's up to a lawyer. So the problem is that it's happening so much. And I think the challenge for job applicants is to make sure when they receive an offer, not only they have it in writing, that it's signed by an officer of the company, but that they've had clear discussions with the HR department and with the hiring manager. When am I starting? Who am I going to be working with? Where's my office? What tools will I have? Could I stop by a week or a few days in advance just to take a look around and meet some people? Anything you can do to get the company to put more skin in the game and to demonstrate to you that they're really ready for you, only at that point should you stop the rest of your job search. The, the really, or
1: give notice. Or, or give <laughs> I mean, notice.
2: Absolutely. I've, I've had people tell me I gave notice because I had this bona fide job offer. The offer got pulled. Can I sue? Well, you've got to talk to a lawyer. But nowadays, the smart thing to do is avoid giving notice until as late as you possibly can, and do everything you can to to make sure that that offer and that job is really there.
1: Yeah, I mean that's crazy because you want to do the right thing, give ample notice oh, yeah, to your employer yeah. who you're working for, and, and I mean this is a scary topic. I definitely want to come back to this. We're going to go to Julia, Julia from New Jersey, my home state. Welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
4: Hi, good. how are you? Hi, Hi Julia. Julia. To be on. <laughs> Um, So, yeah, I love your assistance. Um, So, basically, I was working in the advertising industry about five years ago. I have three years' experience in that particular industry. At the time, I had uh, a layoff, and my family's business was actually struggling. So I kind of took it as, like, a divine intervention, and I decided to help them out for a little bit. And that actually ended up uh, becoming a whole, like, I did a restructuring of the business. I reallocated budget. I did a bunch of stuff to kind of break down everything that was going on incorrectly, fixed it. And right when I was about to hit the market again, back into the advertising industry, I actually, uh, you know, had a little miracle. I had a baby. Now that Congratulations. he's to go back to school, thank you, he's ready to go to school. He's old enough now, and I'd really just like to get back to where my passion is, which was advertising. But because, you know, being in the New York City market it's so competitive and I know I've maintained, like, really amazing skills trying to restructure my family's business, I just don't know how to kind of approach this and try to get, you know, a a position again back into that industry, being that I haven't been in there for, you know, for a little bit.
2: I can give you a perfect example of what we talked about before because of something that I do as part of my work. We were talking before about the idea that it's not job postings that are going to land you in a, in a job. It's actually your networking, your personal contacts. It's about picking the right companies, drilling down into the business, learning all you can, talking to people connected to it so that you can form that network that will get you in the door. Part of what I do with Ask the Headhunter, I, I publish Ask the as my own website, but I also license Ask the Headhunter features to other major publications, including Adobe Systems, uh, which publishes CMO.com, which is for chief marketing officers, I would go to CMO.com. Don't don't just read the Ask the Headhunter columns, although you should. You definitely uh, should. But what you will find is articles and interviews and stories about what's going on in marketing and advertising all around the world, and obviously big time in New York City. I would look for those articles and pick out companies, whether they're big, small, whatever. Maybe it's an agency. Maybe it's an actual company that that, ha- that has an advertising or marketing department. Look at those organizations, the ones that really excite you, that, that's, that sort of get your wheels rolling, Start researching them. You'll find names of people in the articles. Reach out to them. Find out what groups they participate in online or out in the real physical world. Attend those sessions, those meetings. Send them an email. Tell them you read something about them on CMO.com. You you, uh, have a substantive question you'd like to ask. And you should have a good, intelligent, professional question to ask, sort of in passing. Don't tell them you're looking for a job. Start a dialogue. Make a buddy. One of those will lead to another, and by the time you're done, you will have such a network of contacts in New York, in marketing, in advertising, that then you can start asking, hey, is there someone you recommend I talk to at such and such a company? I'm thinking about changing jobs, and there you go.
1: I love that advice, Nick. It's it's a very concrete way, Julia, of networking with the people in your field. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up, Julia, because I know a lot of people who have either stepped away from their career or have done um, other things and want to get back to something they want to do. They often think, well, you know, I, I have this gap and that's going to be a major red flag. And yeah, employers will look at that. But I mean, I, I don't think that is is any reason that you're not qualified just because you've stepped away from it for a while. You Uh-oh. still Absolutely, all those skills. Absolutely.
2: But, but when you wait for employers and job boards to qualify you, it's never going to happen. You're not going to get hired because an employer needs to fill a job. Please think about that. You're not going to get hired because an employer needs to fill a job. You're going to get hired because you have shown some manager in some company that you have a, at least a basic grasp of the problems and challenges they're facing in their business, and you've got some ways to help them meet those challenges, fix those problems, It's that specific. That's how people get hired. And when people say, you know what, that job was wired for somebody. It's why I didn't have a chance. Well, it's wired for the person who does what I just described to you. So think about it that way and start talking to people that you find on CMO.com or anywhere in the media relating to advertising and marketing.
1: Yep. Julia, I love, love, love your positivity. That is going to go so far in the job search. So engage your advertising skills and you be the product. You're going to have no problem in this area. So we'd love to hear back from you when you land. Thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Julia, we wish you all the best. Hey, if it's Thursday, we're here to take your own calls all hour at That's 844-942-7866. Jackie in Pennsylvania, welcome to Career Talk. How can
0: we help you today, Jackie? Hi, Doctor. Thanks for taking my call. Great show and uh, great guest. I I guess my question is, uh, so I'm in my early 50s. I lost my job about a year ago. I've been doing some temporary jobs. I guess the situation, to me, the the temporary jobs kind of give you something to do. Also, earning power, You know, they're not the same amount of work or same amount of pay that the other job in your career was. I was wondering what your guest had to say about that. But then also, Say so you do take this temporary job. How do you handle interviewing for a real job? And what what is the best way to go about that? And you
5: know, I'm, I'm interested in the, that your guest's opinion.
2: Take it well, away, Nick. Number one, I think the temp uh, job market, these contracting consulting firms that will put you on a two- or three-month gig, I think it's become the biggest racket in the American economy It's really given companies an excuse to stop thinking longer term about their projects, the work they're trying to get done. When you buy into that, you you may do it because you have to. If you have to put food on the table, pay the mortgage, the rent, whatever, go for it. But stop and ask yourself, what is that really going to lead you to? Best case, it might get you a full-time job in that company. So if you're going to pursue these kinds of things, I wouldn't take a part-time three-month gig with a company unless it's one where you think you'd like to spend the next two or three years and you have good reasons for doing that. Otherwise, if you can afford it, my suggestion is step back and start looking for full-time gigs. Don't use this gig economy tool, which is called consulting recruiters. You know, these people, they're dialing for dollars. All they want is resumes. They will throw any spaghetti like you, pardon me, that will stick against the <laughs> and wall. Nick,
1: how do you really feel?
2: <laughs> hoping they're going to close a deal and make a few bucks placing you. Well, they're basically wasting your time. It's a churn and burn kind of game. Think about companies, as we talked about before, companies you'd like to work for. Pick them out. Go after them like a mad dog. Meet the people who are inside and talk to them about longer-term job opportunities. I would not waste too much time on this You know, gig economy, part-time gig. Gig economy's fine if you're starting your own consulting business or a business where you're going to be finding your own work and actual clients rather than being farmed out through a contracting firm. So I've really got a problem with that because I don't think it's healthy for business. Forget about individuals. So I don't know if I'm answering your question, and maybe I just told you how how I really feel.
1: So, yeah. So I think, Nick, that's what we love about you. We love <laughs> that you give it to us straight. Um, Jackie, spot on. If you know what you want, go after it. And, you know, if you want a full-time job, you go after it. And I think if you network and you use your skills, you're going to find that. I mean, yes, there is. I know you brought up age and things of that nature, and that that does exist. But the fact is, as Nick mentioned before, companies want great people who are going to come in and make things happen. If you can show them that there, there's no doubt they're going to want if, you.
2: Jack, if you're worried about your age, there's an article, uh, because there is age disc- discrimination out there. On AskTheHeadHunter.com, up on the menu bar, there, there's a, a, a link to a website, and that's actually the old website. And if you scroll down through the uh, Headhunter article section, there's an article called Too Old to Rock and Roll, <laughs> where I try to address this problem of age discrimination that basically takes it from the job seeker standpoint and asks the question, what can you do to change that whole scenario? Maybe that'll help you.
1: Jackie, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. Hey, we are taking your calls all hour 844-WHARTON. That's 844 942 You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Nick from AskTheHeadHunter.com, and we are going to go to our pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Okay, here we go. In an effort to create a more diverse workforce, starting this year, some large companies like Deloitte will not share this information about candidates with the hiring managers. In an effort to create a more diverse workforce, starting this year, some large companies like Deloitte will not share this information information about candidates with the hiring managers think you know give us a call at 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 you're listening to career talk we'll be right back
0: you're listening to career talk on business radio powered by the wharton school here again is dr don brand
1: Welcome back to Career Talk, your career insider here on Business Radio, Sirius XM 111. We are powered by the Wharton School, and I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Nick Corcadelius, a.k.a. Ask the Headhunter, a.k.a. the most honest and direct person you will ever have giving you feedback. Mad career. (laughs) And we are going with your New Year's resolution, Nick, of um, don't be patient. Don't be so patient. Don't be so patient. Why be so patient? Um, <laughs> so, hey, if you're just tuning in, we are taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. Or you can tweet your questions at Dr. Don Graham. Or if you'd like, you can follow my weekly blog, dawnoncareers.com. And we are going to go right to Tom in Missouri. Tom, thank you so much for your patience. How can we help you today?
0: Uh, no problem. I really, really, really love the show. First. Oh, my God. I oh, really, 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 Thank really you. love we you love now. We love you, too. <laughs>
2: yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> Thanks for saying I gotta,
0: so. I, you know, Don, I think I put this in a message to you earlier in the week. I wish you had a show every day. Oh. I really do. <laughs> I, would, I love it. It gives me so much insight. And, and your guest today is fantastic. And it's I'm looking for a job, so it's perfect. Oh,
1: perfect. And I did get your message on LinkedIn, and thank you for following up with a personalized email. Let me know where you found me, Tom. See? Good. Good.
3: good. (laughs)
0: Um, I I have a question because I I must be going crazy or something. I get, I apply to jobs. I don't necessarily, sometimes on LinkedIn, you know, or, or you get an email that says, hey, we're looking for someone that fits this. Do you know anyone like this? And I'll say, oh, yeah, it's me. Okay, so. What often happens when I apply to a job or when I get one of these emails, I'll say I'm interested or I've applied to that job. Then it seems like that day or the next day, I get I might get a call out of the blue from a recruiter, you know, who, who posted that job, let's say, or, or um, reached out to me. And it's like this, hurry up. Oh, my God, um, Tom, this is almost like, <laughs> I think, Dawn, you bring this up all the time. I'm the purple squirrel. I mean, someone uh, referred to me last week as that, okay?
2: So why aren't you working, Tom? If you're the purple squirrel, <laughs> how come I can you?
0: Nick. He's holding uh, out. Someone contact me. and says, you're the purple squirrel. Um, can you, uh, you know, tweak your resume, add, add a few things here that I know that they're looking for that you have that aren't highlighted in your resume? I do all this. I'm running through hoops, I, you know. I'm, you know, I'm telling my kids, I, you know, I can't give them dinner and all this other kind of good stuff. I'm doing all this stuff, and, and then the next day, crickets. And I send an email, you know, I wait a couple days, crickets.
2: Tom, let me, try, let me try to explain <laughs> this to you in a, with a very simple story. This is oh, for real. I,
0: I am so... I'm, no, no,
2: it, it's really important that you understand what's going on and why it's happening. When I started headhunting in Silicon Valley many, many years ago, before the internet, before email, we had fax machines. Not everybody even had those. What we used to say was the cost of entry into headhunting was so low that anybody could get into this business with a pocket full of dimes and a pencil because you could work in a phone booth and write on the wall. And it's true. Almost anybody can get into the search recruiting business because it it costs virtually nothing to get in. Consequently, the business attracts all kinds of people who just think they're going to make a fast buck, but they can't. This is hard work. If you're going to find the right person for the right job, it's a lot of hard work. Consequently, you have people out there, like the ones who are contacting you, who are, again, I said it before, throwing spaghetti against the wall, they're dialing for dollars. You are most likely the most wrong candidate they could possibly reach out to, but they don't know and they don't care. It's a volume game. So what I try to help people understand is that this is how the system works. And if you play it and you let them suck you into it, You're you're not only going to get hurt, but you're wasting valuable time you could be spending on. We talked about it before. Sixty to seventy percent of jobs are found through personal contacts. Everybody knows that. So why don't we spend sixty to seventy percent of our time making those personal contacts? Mm -hmm. Because it's a little awkward. It takes time. It's 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 cumbersome. It's not instant. We want people to find us. We don't want to go find them. When a headhunter is retained by or brought in by by a company to go fill a position. We don't take calls from people. We go out and we find the specific person that our client really needs, and we go after that person. We don't talk to strays. You shouldn't be talking to stray recruiters and stray, stray employers who have no idea what they're doing in the recruiting process. Do what a headhunter does in reverse: pick out the company, get to know the people, get yourself in the door. Uh, There are tons of articles, all for free, on asktheheadhunter.com that you can read to help you learn how to do this. But get yourself out of this mindset, this brainwashing that's been done to the whole world that says the, the, the jobs are all out there. LinkedIn, indeed. Every job in the world. There was an old line from Stephen, uh, 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 Who's the comedian? I can't, I can't think of his last name.
1: The guy he, who squishes the watermelons?
2: No, no, no. no. Uh, uh, doesn't <laughs> matter. What, his, his line was this. <laughs> imagine, Just imagine you could have everything in the world. Where would you put it? Very funny. Well, employers have every resume in the world. Job seekers have every job posting in the world. Where are you going to put it? You can apply to them all. They're useless because the value of the nth job posting or nth job candidate approaches zero because nobody's really done any thinking about who they want or what they want. So how do you find these jobs? How do you find a company to manage and wants to hire you? Well, go where a headhunter goes. When I recruit, do you know where I go? I contact people who are movers and shakers and opinion makers in the industry I'm recruiting for, and I ask them, can you refer me to a good person? The second thing I do, I go to professional events, conferences, places where people that I want to recruit are talking shop, where they're talking business. They're not they're out there to find a job. They're there do- talking about their work. That's where you can find an employer, and it's where you can find somebody you want to recruit. That's what HR should be doing, rather than using recruiters' online, they should get off their duffs, out from behind their PCs, and go out into the physical world and go hang out with the people they want to hire. And guys like you, again, I, I don't mean this disrespectfully at all, because I think you're brainwashed with everybody is. Go hang out with the people you want to work with. Hang out. Meet them. Talk to them. It's fun.
1: So, Tom, I love your energy. I love that um, that you listen to Career Talk and are, are have emailed me with a personalized LinkedIn. That's always the way to do it. And here's the thing. You have your options out there you can pick anything you want and to to synthesize Nick's advice here's the thing if you do it the way everybody does it you're going to end up with what everybody gets which is nothing bingo I mean I mean that's just I mean that's really it so you're you're you've got these unique qualities you have got these special skills people are going to want you you need to go where those people who can recognize that are
2: Tom you've got this outgoing engaging personality I I can see you through the through, through the microphone here you're an engaging guy you're the kind of person who finds it easy to talk to people. So let yourself go do it. Just find the right places. Pick out a professional conference, an industry event, some place where the kinds of companies you want to work for hang out, and go and circulate. Go talk to them. Chat them up. Don't ask about jobs. Ask them about their work. People people hate. When, when somebody says to you, I'd love to work at your company. Can you pass my resume in? That's like putting the monkey on their back, and the reaction is, Ugh, who wants to do that? On the other hand, If you ask them about their work, what they find challenging, what kind of projects they're working on, what what they think the challenges are in their industry, people love to talk shop. That's how you open the door. And a guy like you, you won't have any problem with it.
1: So don't be so patient. That's our motto for the day. Tom, thank you so much for giving us a call and for listening to Career Talk. We so appreciate it. We are here for you. We are here at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. And we are going to go to Alex in Canada. We love our international callers. Alex, welcome to Career Talk. How can we help you today?
5: Hello, thank you. Love the show as well. Alex, uh, Alex?
2: Alex where do you live in Canada?
5: Um actually from Ottawa.
2: Okay. Welcome. I love Canada. I love spending time in Canada. Great. Thank
5: you. I love the United States. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's a love
1: fest. Alex, uh, how can yeah. we help you today?
5: So so I have two questions. One is uh, they're both related to MBA and, and the whole concept of that. Um, does, does getting an MBA from a non-ranked school make a difference at all in, in a person's career? And also... Uh, is it appropriate or what is your opinion on putting MBA in your LinkedIn profile at, you know, after your last name or on your business card uh, I'm 33 and I see a lot of that happening especially with my uh, peers and generation but uh, a lot of the older people they they don't do that. So I'm wondering you know what is your opinion on, on that Thanks.
1: Um it Alex it's so interesting you asked this question. So um first off I'm wondering when you talk about being non-ranked MBA program I mean, what, what types of jobs are you applying to?
5: Uh, management jobs and you know that's uh, that's kind of what I do.
1: <laughs> so here's here's the deal. Um if you're looking for I I say this to people who are wondering, you know, I want to make a career change or I'm wondering, you know, should I go back to school? Is that going to make my job search infinitely easier? And I guess my my advice to you and general advice to people who are struggling with that question is here's the thing. You, You are not going to have an easier job search because you necessarily have credentials after your name, unless obviously it's a specific role like an MD. You probably need to have that credential. Um but an mba great great set of skills to have and i mean i'm congratulations on doing that i think that's awesome but it's not necessarily going to be the thing that gets you the job the thing that's going to get you the job is your ability to apply the skills that you've gotten in that degree to the manager's problems to the company's problems so I think it's a great thing you got your MBA and I think you should put it on your LinkedIn and you know go ahead put it on your business cards and all of that um, the other opportunity is connecting with alumni from your school so it's it's a way to open up your networks so that's another reason when you go back to school that, that you you definitely rely on that that set of connections to get you where you want to be. But if you're relying on a piece of paper, whether it's your resume, a business card, LinkedIn, to to open the doors, you're, as Nick has been talking about, you're doing it the wrong way. You want to go through your contacts who, um, who want to know how what you've learned, whether it's in school or in previous experiences, is going to translate into solving their problems. The other thing I will say, and this is more of a general, um, companies are more interested in your skills versus your education. So again, great. It shows you've got commitment, perseverance, and that you're you're certainly um, doing everything you can to up your game in this field, but they're going to be more interested in what you've done in the workforce rather than those credentials. So I think that's an awesome question. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Should I invest? Should I go back? How is this going to help me? And I definitely think there are ways it's going to help you, but those letters aren't going to necessarily change the way you need to do your job search. So thank you so much, Alex. We really appreciate your question. Hey, we're taking our calls live at 844 Warden. That's 844 942 And we wish you all the best in your job search there, Alex. Okay, so we have to answer the pre-break quiz because I will tell you, and you didn't know this, Alex, but you kind of um, gave a big hint to our listeners on this one. So, all right, if you remember what it was, in an effort to create a more diverse workforce starting this year, some large companies like Deloitte will not share this information about candidates with the hiring managers. Dion, I know you had a guess,
0: (laughs) Now I'm trying to remember what Alex said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say where they live.
1: Where they live. No.
0: I've got to find the buzzer. Oh, jeez. <laughs> there it is. Michelle.
1: Okay, well, now I have to guess their uh, their education background. So, yes, and it's interesting. It's And it's not just well, their they're... education background, Michelle. Mm-hmm. It is where they went to school. And... And if you think about it, and, you know, Alex had the perfect question to introduce this, is that, you know, companies look at big-name schools and think, assumption, huge assumption, that this must mean that somebody is smarter or more capable or more motivated. But when you think about talent, it's not just about where you went to school or what degrees you have. And, Nick, you know this. A lot of companies ask for degrees on the job description for the heck of it if you really ask them why would you need a college degree to do this work? They don't have a good answer. Uh,
2: it's it's really about what uh, what, what Don said is true, and that's you, you can need to show what you've done. What I would add to that, very important, is what can you do for them? And in order to be able to explain that, you got to know what it is that they need. So having the letters there, I don't think it's going to hurt you in most cases. Although some I know managers who have a bias against MBAs. You go go figure, figure that out. But but on the flip side, uh, I think don't Don also point something out about MBAs, especially if you're talking about a big name school, a ranked school. I do workshops for Wharton. I've done them for some of the top executive MBA programs around the world, and what I find in talking to these students is that the biggest value they get n- not only is the the skills that they pick up and what, th- what they learn but the context they make the network mm-hmm. they create by going to the program
1: yep totally agree alan in new york welcome to career talk how can we help you today
2: hi alan hi um hi donna We're
5: a huge fan of the show thank Thanks you for alan. having me um i have um i have a bit of a problem well, not really a problem. I just got two job offers, one in Austin, Texas, one in Boston, Mass.
2: Hey, congratulations.
5: And I was wondering if you could help me or give me some tips on negotiating a relocation package. Um, Nick, specialty. one or both of these offers.
2: <laughs> uh, you, you know, uh, quite a few years ago, that wasn't much of a problem. Companies would Are, are both companies offering you Relo, or are they not offering you Relo?
5: Yeah, they're pretty. They're both pretty far. I'm in New York. One's in Texas, and the other one's in Boston.
2: Do the offers include a relocation package?
5: No, not yet. Not at all. No.
2: Have they told you they do not pay relocation?
5: Um, one did. Uh, the other, I didn't ask beforehand in did, the process.
2: Did Did you know before the interview process that they would not pay for relocation?
5: Uh, for one of them, I had a. I had an idea that it'd be probably a, a little bit tougher. Um, But I'm wondering if, you know, now I have leverage to negotiate one.
2: I think you have to ask yourself, which offer are you willing to walk away from if you can't get what you want? And then I think you just need to say, uh, I really need a relocation package in order to accept. Here's here's a good way to put it. I want to accept your offer because I want to work there. So I just want to tell you that. I'm, I'm willing to make that commitment. Assuming we can come to terms on the offer, and one of the critical terms for me is relocation, what can we do with this? If they say no or they keep pushing back, you have to be ready to walk away or don't raise the issue. If you're willing to give up the relocation to to take the job, then don't even try to negotiate it. Does that make sense?
1: So, yeah, and one of the things I want to add to that, Nick, because um – Here's the deal, sometimes they'll try and weave ne- relocation into your base salary or other things, which just sets you up for failure for the long term. So, so I do want to remind you that that negotiating relocation should come outside of the salary. If you're a great candidate, they want you, they've picked you, and the the barrier between that is that you live in one place and the jobs in another. That's something that, I mean, companies do all the time. It's a standard practice, and I I really believe that they should be able to work that out for you. So, thank you so much, we really appreciate you giving us a call here on career talk and we wish you all the best it's awesome that you have two job offers too congratulations um we're gonna go to jeremy in alabama jeremy welcome to career talk
2: hey jeremy hey guys how are y'all
5: great what's your question and, and thank jeremy? you uh, thank you for taking my phone call I really do enjoy the show i have uh, spent the last 15 years in the private sector uh and have just been acquired by a larger company um I have put together a resume that I am uh, seemingly having the hardest time finding the transition between the private sector to the public sector, and I'm wondering if the details that are in my resume or the issue, um, I've reached out through the recruiter base, the recruiting network as well, and I'm wondering exactly what it is that I'm personally doing wrong and the challenges that I'm facing in order to jump from the private
2: sector to the public sector. Jeremy, let let me just stop you. Jeremy, if you're relying on recruiters to read your resume and figure out what to do with you, you're selling yourself short and you're wasting your time. Recruiters are terrible at reading a resume and figuring out what to do with someone. It's really incumbent on you to figure out what you're going to offer an organization in the public sector. Pick out the organization. Research the heck out of it. Figure out what problems, challenges they're facing. I know I keep using these two words, problems and challenges. This is why people get hired. How are you going to fix those things? If you can identify in a specific organization what they need fixed or help with, then that's what you want to put on your resume. And you need to go to the organization directly. I would not waste time with recruiters.
1: So <laughs> I love that you just, you Mad are a recruiter. Careers. You are a recruiter.
2: <laughs> I am a, I'm a head. What, when, when you talk about recruiters, number one, they're in-house internal recruiters, whether it's a consulting firm or whether it's an actual employer. Recruiters, even in companies, are not very good at judging resumes. Only a hiring manager can really judge how good you are. And a manager is going to judge you as being valuable if the manager can quickly map what you can do to what the manager needs. So you don't know what to put on your resume until you know what the manager needs. So when people say, I've got a great resume, no, you only have a great resume in general. You don't, what you need is a little business plan that addresses a specific company's and manager's challenges and what they need to have done. Once you can put the mapping together for them, then I think you'll get a lot more attention. But that means you can't just send a resume out. First, you have to find the manager and then tailor your pitch to the manager.
1: And I'm going to, as we're, as we're wrapping up here, Jeremy, thank you so much for giving us a call on Career Talk. I'm going to share a little insider secret with you. I was a recruiter when I was 23. Um... And here's the deal as a recruiter, we are tasked with passing on great candidates to the hiring manager and when you're you're young and in a job where you want to prove yourself and, and your your goals are to get people hired. if you're uncertain, um, when you're looking at that resume, you're going to put them in the no pile because you don't want to look bad with your hiring manager. And I'm not saying that's that's everywhere, but I mean, a lot of times the people looking at that first resume don't know the job very well, as was in my case, aren't really sure and can't translate what you're saying into hire manage, hiring manager speak, which again, is just another one of the the four million reasons that you want to network, get to the hiring managers, get in front of the people who can make a good decision about you and see through all of the the you know different things on the resume to those transferable skills that are really going to solve their problems so we appreciate all of our callers today nick the show goes by so fast how can people reach you your
2: audience is fantastic don and so are you you're fantastic so much for letting me talk
1: you're, you're so fantastic. We love and having and you Canada on.
2: Canada is, too. Yeah. So
1: <laughs> Canada, U.S., go. How can people reach you, Nick?
2: uh I put out a free newsletter every Tuesday morning. I think we're on uh, issue 600 and something. We've been putting this out for, since 2002. It's free. Website has a lot of free articles, advice, how-to. The great thing about the website is on the blog. There's a comment section where you can come and ask your questions and chat it up with the rest of the community. They have offer more better advice than I do.
1: Nick, you can't beat that. Thank you so much. Michelle and Dion, you guys rule. You've been listening to Career Talk on SiriusXM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Graham. And for more great advice, follow my blog, dawnoncareers.com. And we will see you next time.